Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O compassionate Father, we pray that you would give us, your servants, the understanding that we may be able to know your truth and your testimonies. Lord, that it is for this time that you are the one who acts. Lord, you have given us the law uh, that it might not be broken, that we might be able to see Christ and the truth found in the gospel. Lord, let us love your commandments above gold, above silver, fine gold, that we cherish every word that you have written for us as it points to Christ. Lord, let us consider all your precepts as they are right. Let us hate any false way. Pray this in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 to 17. Is God's holy and errant life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, which you shall do the signs. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We all know of that moment when someone asks for volunteer and everybody either shrinks back in their chair or they get two feet taller waving their arms around. Now often in my experience, the younger the person is, the more eager they are to be able to jump up and wave their hand, and the older, the more they're willing to shrink back into their chair. One person, you have their hand waving, ecstatically jumping around, wishing to be chosen, doing anything to be seen. The other person, lower in their chair, seeking to be smaller. Really, their philosophy is, you can pick anyone else, just do not pick me. And in today's passage, we see Moses doing just that. We see 
what is a, a lack in Moses is found only in Christ. Now Moses, in this dialogue with the Lord, as he is a, the Lord has appeared to him in this burning bush that is not consumed, Moses has a list of questions for God to be able to answer. Questions or excuses. God appeared to him and called him and said, you are going to be my prophet. You are going to speak God's word to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh will eventually let my people go. But Moses stands there. He says, well, why would God send me? Who, who are you even, Lord, to be able to send me? What is your name? What happens when the elders don't listen? And today we see more questions, excuses by Moses. We also see the underlying principle of why Moses is asking these questions. First thing that we see in this passage is the wrong mouth. The wrong mouth. The fourth excuse in in Moses He explains to the Lord that he is not eloquent in speech. He's called specifically by God to be God's mouthpiece. But Moses turns around and says that I am not eloquent. I am not good at speaking. Now this has different interpretations. Some have mentioned or commented that Moses has some form of speech impediment, such as a stutter. And therefore did not desire to be able to go and speak before Pharaoh. Others believe that he's speaking not of his uh, Hebrew tongue, but of his Egyptian speech, that he has not spoken it well, even when he was younger, and especially now this time in Midian, these 40 years, he's lost his ability to be able to eloquently speak in Egyptian. This might be the point which uh, Moses points out in chapter 6, verse 21, when he says that the sons, um, I have the wrong passage there, but uh, in verses 12, but Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips, or Moses particularly maybe points out that he is not uh, speaking. But what we see is very similar patterns in the calling of Moses and the calling of Isaiah and the calling of Jeremiah, that often the, the lips becomes a central point in their calling. Isaiah says that he is a man of unclean lips who lives amongst a people of unclean lips. Jeremiah mentions his lips also. So some have suggested that it's not merely that he's talking of a stutter or his ability to speak in Egyptian, but he he sees himself as a sinner with unclean lips. Jeremiah's excuse is that he is but a youth. Now we can get hung up on the details of what this means when Moses says he's not eloquent in his speech, but I think what we really do is miss the point. Moses is still focusing on who he is. He just saw the Lord change a staff to a serpent. His hand 
which was clean, then changed to leprosy, and then restored back. He's standing right before a bush that is burned, that is never consumed. Moses has been told by God that God will use these great signs and wonders. The power is almighty power to be able to change. Uh, the Pharaoh will let people's, uh, God's people go. And what is Moses concerned about? Moses is concerned about his speech. He's already been told that Pharaoh wouldn't listen to him. Why does it matter? Now, Moses will have about 15 interactions with Pharaoh. The largest speech that he gives is in chapter 9, verse 13 to 35. And this longest speech is 135 words. Now, out of all these speeches that Moses will have with direct dialogue with Pharaoh, it's only about 782 words. So on average, it's about 52 words per speech. Now, let's put that in perspective. Moses, in this passage, in chapters 3 and 4, says 260 words to the Lord greater than the biggest speech you will give to Pharaoh. And Moses here is using his words to be able to try and make excuses before God why not to go. Similar to our children, who spend about 30 minutes complaining about cleaning up, when it would honestly take them about five minutes if they cleaned up without complaining. But the focus is about what God is going to do. Moses is merely a mouthpiece, merely a vessel. Yet Moses is so absorbed with himself. And the Lord responds, as he has done in the past. And up to this point, God has addressed Moses by telling him that he will be with Moses. He's answered the question of, whom shall I send, say he sent me? by telling Moses his name, and even by showing him signs that he might be able to go. But this time is different. This time the Lord turns around and asks Moses the questions. Now this is often God's way of showing his grace to his people a chance and an opportunity for them to be able to see God's power and grace and his mercy. God comes into the garden to Adam and Eve and says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? To Cain, after he killed his brother, where's your brother Abel? What have you done? To Hagar, she fled from Sarai. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? To Jonah, after he swallowed the great, by the great fish. What do you mean, Jonah, by this furious anger about the plant? To Job from the whirlwind, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And God turns to Moses and he asks him a question. Again, not focusing on the mouth, but who makes the mouth. The power of the the creator who has made man's mouth. Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I? The Lord, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
the Lord reminds Moses what he had forgotten. Moses is a mere man sent by the Almighty God. Again, this is not the response that we would expect in the world today. When we're downcast, when we look at ourselves and our inability, questioning if we're up for the task, the world would seek to be able to point us back to ourselves. Moses, don't be so down on yourself, man. You've got this. Moses, you have a beautiful voice. Don't doubt yourself. Moses, I've seen you speak eloquently before. Moses, you've just got to believe in yourself. But yet God doesn't point back to Moses. He points back to himself. Moses says, I'm the one who knit your lips together in your mother's womb. I am the one who has saved you from Pharaoh's hand. I have the one who has been providentially preparing you for such a time as this to be able to be my mouthpiece, that I am the one who is with you. I am the Lord, the God Almighty. I am the one who keeps my promises. I am the one who fulfills them. I am the one who is going to do these great signs and wonders before Pharaoh. But I think there's also another beautiful thing that we see in this passage. God does comfort Moses. Again, not pointing back to himself. Not pointing back to Moses, but he points back to the Lord. These great and glorious promises found with the simple words, I will. That I will promise from God is a promise of certainty. God had promised in Exodus 3 verse 12 that he would be with Moses. But now he specifically comforts Moses with the words that he will be with, not just with himself, with Moses, but God will be with his mouth. And God will teach him what to be able to speak. Moses looks at his weakness and God specifically points out that he will be with him in his weakness. He will teach and instruct and grow him in his weakness. Actually, Stephen says of Moses' speech that his speech is powerful. Now what we see here is a lack in Moses. This lack in Moses that is found in Christ. Now Moses has many failures, which we will see. But it is Christ who specifically comes to be able to carry out this glorious promise. He says in John chapter 12 that he has not by, spoken by his own authority but the Father who sent him has himself given Christ a commandment. What to say and what to speak. That Christ knows his commandment is eternal life. What he says, therefore, is what the Father had told him to say. 
And this is exactly what is spoken about by Moses as he records in Deuteronomy chapter 18. That God promises another I will statement, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. That as we look at Moses, we see his failures, his faults. But we look forward to Christ, the true prophet to come. Who will speak God's words faithfully and truthfully. Christ is that that promised prophet. Christ speaks to God's people. Some will listen, others will not. We'll speak more about that later. We have the wrong mouth, and the second aspect we see is the wrong man. Finally, we find out the truth of why these questions all are asked. Moses is very clear. Send someone else. Isaiah stands up with his hand raised when God asks the question, Whom shall I send? Moses, uh, Isaiah says, Send me, send me. But yet Moses is on the other end, shrinking back in his chair. Moses is reluctant, unwilling. Now all of Moses' questions might be valid, But every one of them has been answered by the Lord. But finally, Moses just says, please, send someone else. He is unwilling to go. Now, the Hebrew is is somewhat ambiguous. Maybe you could translate it, O Lord, send now by the hand of whom you will send. Now, Moses could be saying in this phrase, let your will be done. But the Lord's response leads us to understand that it is not send anyone whom you will. But his response is send anyone whom you will as long as it is not me. Moses is unwilling to go. God had commanded him very clearly in verse 12 to go. Therefore go. And Moses turns around saying, no. Now maybe he asks it in a respectful manner without screaming. Again, our children will respond. In an outwardly defiant manner, sometimes screaming, crying, no. Other times, you're more pleasant. And they might say, no, thank you. Now this sometimes is adorable, but... It's still defiance. It's still disobedience. Saying thank you doesn't then make it better. And Moses merely just does not want to go. But all of this conversation, all of this dialogue has been leading to this point. That Moses is sent by God to deliver his people, but there's a lack There's a void. Moses is unable to do, in his own understanding, what God has asked him to do. 
that Moses is just like as we will see the Israelites in the wilderness. God says something clearly and they rebel, they do not listen, they do not want to follow what God has said. But here, the Lord's anger is kindled against Moses. The Lord's anger is kindled against Moses. Now the interesting thing, the Lord, when he reveals himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, and God is unchangeable, says that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This shows the extent of Moses' sin. It's not merely God has lost his temper like we might lose our temper, our short fuse. God has a, a long fuse. He is slow to anger. This shows the extent of, of Moses' sin in God's sight. What often we will call small sins, oh, it's okay, maybe he was having a bad day. Here the Lord shows the seriousness of this sin. This happens throughout the wilderness wanderings of the people of God. They question, grumble, complain against God, his leaders. This is exactly what Moses is doing. In the wilderness, he's now questioning, grumbling, complaining against God. That Moses is just like the people he is called to lead. Moses is not only a type of Christ, and that, that foreshadowing of the great prophet to come, but Moses is also a shadow or a type of God's people. Unable, unwilling to listen to God. And this is where the story gets even better. Because where there's a lack in Moses, there's a provision from God. Where there's a lack in Moses, there's a provision from God. Moses, the prophet, is in eloquent speech paired with Adam, Aaron, the priest. Who will see lead the people astray. Worshipping God falsely and even questioning Moses' leadership. But what we see is a sinful prophet needs a sacrificing priest. Moses is told that Aaron will be his mouthpiece. Now what we will see is Aaron doesn't do much talking. That God's promise to fulfill that he would be with uh, Moses' mouth. He will teach him what to say actually comes true. But what Moses needs is not another mouthpiece. He needs a priest to be able to sacrifice for his sins. Aaron needs Moses to be able to tell him how to be able to make the sacrifices. And and Moses needs Aaron to make the sacrifices for his sin. See this clearly as we go through the book of Exodus. But what we see here is this passage pointing towards the right man. Not Moses who needs Aaron and Aaron who needs Moses. But Christ who comes, who is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. Moses refused to be sent, but Christ willingly and faithfully carries out perfectly what he is sent by the Father to be able to do. 
Moses can sometimes point to us, to Christ as the shadow of that, that prophet, that leader, that shepherd. But also, Moses can point us to Christ because he needs Christ himself. And this is what we see in this passage. Moses is unwilling to go to do what he has sent, but Christ willingly came, sent by the Father. See that, Galatians 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, under the law. Paul explains in the book of Philippians that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant who had been born in the likeness of men been found in human form and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the cross. But Christ came humbly as God's servant, willingly as the one sent. The author of Hebrews points out that Christ has come to do your will. He does away with the first to establish the second and by which we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He does away with the shadow. He does away with the shadow of Moses. Because he comes in the fulfillment of those promise. The Christ is the better priest, better than Aaron. As the author of Hebrews points out in chapter 10, that Christ is the better Moses. As he points out in chapter 3, that Moses was faithful in all that God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house. And did we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope, not in Moses, but in Christ? Now we see this throughout the book of Exodus, but let's see it in one specific way. Moses cries out, send someone else. For Christ, when placed in this situation, when he did not want to endure the punishment or the shame or the pain of the cross, did not cry out and say to God the Father, send someone else. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. The Christ spoke as the Father. God the Father told him that he willingly went to the cross to be able to die for our sins, for Moses' sin. Christ went to the cross not to be able to free us from the oppression of Pharaoh, but to free us from the bondage of sin. Christ went to the grave as a payment for our sin. Is that sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God, the anger kindled by our rebellion of our unwillingness to be able to go? The Christ rose victorious and was triumphant, conquering our sin, Satan, and death. Now we can stop at this point, all pointing and laughing at Moses for his unwillingness, his shrinking back in the chair, saying, send someone else. 
But is this not what exactly we do? That we all come up with our own excuses, actually probably using the same excuses as Moses did. Who am I to be able to go tell others about what God has done? Who is God? Will they even listen to him? What if they don't listen to what I have to say? I I just don't have a way with words. I actually just don't know what to say. And in the end, we're all crying out, just like Moses, Oh Lord, please said someone else. That we need Christ. In our unwillingness, our rebellion, our unwillingness to be able to go, but we also need God to be able to use us that we might go. To do as He commanded us. To go into all the nations and make disciples. To go into our workplace, to go into our schools, to go into our neighborhoods. To be able to go and share the good news of the gospel. And just like God had promised Moses that he would be with him, so too Christ has promised the same thing. As we are to go into all the nations making disciples, that he is with us until the end of the age. So let us go. Let us go into the byways and the highways. Let us go into those workplaces and and places of learning. Let us go to our friends and our family proclaiming the great story of redemption found only in Christ. Our own lack, our own sin found only in the fulfillment of Christ the prophet, Christ the king, Christ the priest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for the realities of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before, that they are sinners just like we are, that they needed Christ, the author and perfecter of their faith, as we need Christ as the author and perfecter of ours. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us when we have been just as Moses was, unwilling to go and do what you have commanded. Lord, forgive us for our sin, but also help us along the way that we might actually do what you have commanded us to be able to, to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, help us in our weakness. Give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to be able to go into the darkest places, to be able to proclaim your good news, that you would receive all glory, power, and honor, which is due your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.